Okay. And we're we're good. We're good. Sweet. Oh, are 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 we? There we go. Yeah. We're good. <laughs> okay. So this is the third episode of First Contacts, and my guest today is David Herman. And this is very interesting for me because you're the first one that I've never. I mean, we met briefly the other day. Yeah. But that I don't personally know. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see how this is going to go. <laughs> Sweet. Um, I guess the best way to start it would be. In my, the, prim- the premise of my podcast is who are the most interesting people in your phone? Yeah. And then meeting those people and just branching out and seeing where everybody goes and what their definition of interesting is. Right. And so Nick, who is definitely one of the most interesting people I know, listed you as one of them. And at the end of the last episode, I was like, well, why? Describe him. And he's like, well, he's got this, like, he didn't say joie de vivre, but, like, he's got this, like, very peppy joyous outlook on life and then you describe that you you know you work with the homeless and you're partnered with him in business on some level that I don't really know about but um yeah and, and that was his description and so and okay. so here we are meeting yeah. you so yeah let's talk about that like how how are you how are you involved with Nick like how did you guys meet how yeah, we, you know, it was interesting. We met uh, originally uh, through mutual friends mm-hmm. uh, at the building he was at in downtown LA, probably what, 2012? So Apex? Apex. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a mutual friend that lived there who somehow connected us. I forget how, but we got connected. And, you know, a couple years went by, you know, we were friends on, you know, social media to a certain extent, LinkedIn and things like that, but never really did anything, and then we circled around to a Facebook group, which was paid media analysts, uh, super nerdy stuff. So you guys do the same thing. Yeah, we do the same thing. Um, And we just started connecting there. And he, about two years ago, he reached out to me with his uh, manager and offered me a full-time job working for Social Outlier. Uh At the time, I was working and, you know, doing my own thing, um, and basically it was like, yeah, I can, I can come on as a contractor and help you guys maybe move it to full time. But, you know, basically it was like, yeah, I mean, we can work together. I like you. And do um, you do this? So are you exactly like, cause I know Nick, his big focus for a long time was Twitter. Yeah. He's, he's the Twitter guy. I'm yeah. the Facebook guy. Okay. So I focus on Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Pinterest. Those are my three strong suits. He's really good with Twitter and obviously data. Mm-hmm. He's just incredible at and he's really good at like, kind of like managing clients' expectations and, and really building a portfolio. And I'm really good at the nitty gritty of like actually doing the dirty work. So and how did you get into that? I got into it by accident. Um, I went to college for um, to work in the music industry. Really? Yeah. And uh, really loved the business side of the music world. Okay. Um, my cousin was really big into music in the 90s. My uncle was too. And so growing like up... Like in the industry? In the industry. Okay. Yeah. One, my, uh, my cousin worked for, uh, uh, I believe, Atlantic Records, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was an A&R and radio. And then my uncle was on the Christian side. Okay. And worked in the Christian music world. Um, he helped start uh, Word Records. In the okay. 70s. So I had the love of music early on and, and uh, felt the passion for it. Long story short, went to college for it, graduated from college in 2007, right when the recession hit. Mm-hmm. Music industry is failing, got one job in it, got laid off, tried to get another job. Basically, the salary was not even enough to support myself. Um, ended up on a couch, homeless, essentially. Um, and so that's whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. what everybody in the yeah. music industry. Yeah, realize <laughs> realize this is not a, a situation in which I want to spend my time in, and so um, I kind of started getting involved in in social media a little bit more, um, and saw a trend. Saw everybody that was coming up and creating content, but nobody was spending time on how to actually amplify it. Wait, so what do you mean you started spending a lot of time like working on social media? Like I was naturally good at it. I was good at telling stories and, and crafting messages. So like messages. building your own following? Yeah, building, build, building, well, I, I was building other people's followings. Okay. Um, and I was working, at the time I, I got a job at a content marketing company um, and just working on social media day to day. 
and saw the writing on the wall was there's no way these networks are going to be this is going to keep staying free like mm-hmm. they're going to start charging for this stuff so i got into paid advertising as on the side like i started just testing it and figuring it out yeah this was like the days before youtube would this play an was, yeah. ad before the video yeah this was like yeah this was pre all that i mean facebook ads like you know it was very small time like the costs were cheap. Everything was just really easy to do, get engagement. Um, so over the years, I've just become kind of more refined in what I do and, you know, got involved in e-commerce and everything like that. So, um, Does that feel yeah. weird to be, like, on some level, like an electronic pioneer? Because I was talking to Nick about this. And like, there was no social media in the previous generation. Yeah. Like, you wrote letter, Like, maybe your postcards on your fridge was your, was your Facebook page. Uh, so it's so new. I mean, I mean, it doesn't seem like it cause we've kind of grown up on it, yeah. but it's very, very new. Yeah. And so like nobody has done what you did before you. Right. So I, I mean, do you ever think about that or like, is it just a, uh, whatever it's on auto? Cause that's really interesting to me. I mean, I think it's interesting because when I go to parties or stuff or whatever, people always ask, what do you do? And I tell them, well, I work in paid advertising. Mm-hmm. And they're always like, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, you know those ads you see on social media? Yeah, that's what I do. Oh, so like you just create advertising. I'm like, yeah, I create, I'm a digital advertiser. You know Mad Men in the 60s? Yeah, that's us that's today. That's exactly what Nick said. Yeah, that's we're, really... we're, we are, we're Mad Men of, of whatever, the, the aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a whole frontier. And it's... When you meet someone that does what you do, it's pretty unique because there's not a lot of us out there. And the thing that annoys me more than anything is when I say, I work in this field, people are like, oh, so you do social media? I'm like, no, I don't do social media. I do, I do paid social. It's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be associated with social media because I feel like social media has got a negative connotation to it versus... What I do, which is actually create value, create um, create business for people. That's interesting, though. So ex- let's, let's go back and elaborate on that a little bit. Like, what are your negative connotations with social media? Because that's the platform where you're able to do business. Yeah. But I kind of agree with you because yeah. I, I, I uh, spend as little time on my phone as possible I like I do what I have to do for work yeah. but otherwise it can yeah, just oh, be oh, no. this, this giant time suck my girlfriend's gonna listen to this and be like duh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I think you know social media as a whole has a few things it's fake a lot of people assume it's fake um, so there's that negative connotation to it but secondly from a business perspective um, a lot of businesses view social media, at, even today, even though as powerful as it is, they still view it as something small. They don't put their time or energy there, have the lowest of the low employees working on it. Uh, I worked with one of the Fortune 100 companies on social media. 100 companies? Yeah. Okay. One of, actually, it's probably the, one of the Fortune 10 companies. Um, I think it is. I'm not sure where it's at anymore. But they had two people in their entire company of... 60,000 people mm-hmm. running social media and they weren't allowed to do anything that wasn't approved by the CEO of this company and this is a year and a half ago so like and their budgets were less than $10,000 a month for a company that has I would say well over 2,000 stores mm-hmm. and has an online presence that that is nil. So like, the social media uh, was like maybe 0.1% of the marketing budget. Yeah, if that. And That's crazy. They don't even, they, they just, yeah, they just don't understand it. So it gets that negative connotation with it. And so, you know, what Nick and I, Nick and I have been able to do is we're able to go to these companies, especially like nonprofits mm-hmm. that historically would have no budgets. And they're putting their budgets towards what we do because they're seeing it, you know, with um, that women's march that happened in uh, when Trump got elected mm-hmm. and the climate change march. Those were driven by social media, 100% by social media, by one person who created it and, you know, expanded upon it. 
And I think that more and more people are seeing that now and realizing what is happening in our world is, I mean, Trump got elected because of social media. Yeah, definitely. He became president of the United States because of tweeting and his popularity in it. And he was able to connect with something that nobody else has ever been able to do. And the writing was on the wall, if you looked at it. So social media is really, um, it, you can't view it as, it's a negative connotation, but you can't view it that way. You have to view it as it is the, the, the revolution that is coming, and it's still in its infancy. I mean, we're not even, we're not even 15 years into this, you know? Like, we haven't even scratched the surface of what's happening. I always think that we're kind of in this, uh, like with the internet period, we're kind of in the Wild West phase of the internet. Where like back in the day, uh, cowboys had guns on their hips and there was laws, but only like a few and nobody really knew like what the general consensus was. And so everybody ran around like crazy and, and there were gunfights in the street or whatever. That's kind of how I think we are now with with internet, online technology, where it's so, it's just one generation in, it's so new, that we all don't really have regulatory mechanisms or a general consensus of like, this is how you behave, this is acceptable. I mean, what do you think? Like, You're, It is the Wild West. Um, you know, I think that in 10 to 15 years from now, we're going to look back at today. And we're going to say, well, remember back in the day when you could be able to do, kind of do what you want. Um, as much as I hate to say it, I do think we're going to get to a point where um, we're going to be policed a little bit more online. I think it's going to happen. Um, and there's going to be a lot of fighting with it. But I think that, you know, what's happening in cyber, the cyber attacks, for example, I mean, that's the next round of terrorism, is cyber. I mean, shutting down an infrastructure through social media through, through back channels, um, the dark social of the world. Um, you know, I think that those aspects are out there and they're very dangerous. And we haven't yet to see it, but I do think we're going to see some couple of major brands basically die because of something they did on social media. Like, we see a little bit of it, like, but they usually bounce back. Mm -hmm. um, but we're getting to a point now that everybody's attention is one spot. It's their phones. And they're not watching TV. They're, they're on their phones. And that's, that's, that's the eyeballs today. So you screw up in social media, like, that's, you're done. And we see that with political people. I mean, the fact that an election was won because of WikiLeaks is only scratching the surface of what's going to come. And I think a lot of people today forget to realize what they're posting about today will come to light if they want to run for office one day mm -hmm. because it's all out there. You know, so I think that we're going to look back and I do think that we're going to get to a point where there's going to be stuff that has to hide and how are we going to do it and what is okay to put out in the public and what isn't from your past. I think that there's going to be a lot of... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, ethics that are going to be able to create. Like we're going to create a whole book of law for the internet. I see it happening. That makes sense. Actually, I can see that happening yeah. too. Yeah. So in your personal uh, life, with so much focus in in like the digital and in this entire world that's not physically based, do you ever find yourself like? Hello, Harley Davidson. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find yourself like swinging in the uh, in the counterpoint at all, like doing anything to ground yourself in the physical world, or are you just in the matrix full time? Like, how does that work? Um, I try to take a lot of Sunday off. Um, I'll still check my phone every you know few hours or so, but I won't work. I will not work on Sundays. It's my day where I don't want to be there. I don't want to do it. So I won't respond to messages. I won't answer my phone on Sundays. It's just, I won't do it. Because you have to have balance. I mean, if you don't, you're going to go crazy. Because at the end of the day, it's still fake. It's a fake world. It's real, but it's fake. Yeah, that's kind of odd, isn't it? How yeah. much of our time is in this ether. 
Yeah. Like, there's nothing like going outside, putting on your favorite song, and just walking and looking around. I love it. Because it's like, there's no screen. I mean, it's right in front of you, you know? And I live at the beach. I get to go to watch the sunset every night. But you look around, everybody's watching the sunset through their phones. Yeah, Because they're taking the, taking the photos. And, I, and we're all guilty of it. We all do it, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, I gotta capture this. You know, and I capture them all the time. But, like, I make sure to, if I'm gonna get a shot, I'll get a quick shot, and then I'll enjoy it. Um, and, and the more, I guess the older I get, the more and more cynical I'm getting towards it. We're like, no, screw that. I'm not, I'm just going to enjoy it. You know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's swing to this other aspect that Nick described, which is the, um, this, uh, charity work that you do. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, he said you, you're involved with a, like a food truck that travels around and, yeah. and feeds the homeless. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the story with that? How did you get involved? Um, so the food truck is called Share a Meal. Um, the idea of the food truck was created by, um, two individuals in, in LA who, um, they saw a need to reach out and connect with homeless people in any, any kind of way. Not to just walk up to them and say, you know, like, oh, here's food, never see you again. But actually create community. And um, I got connected with them through a mutual friend. He's, I just remember texting him one day about four years ago, four or five years ago, and was like, hey, man, like, I got some time on my hands. I'd love to, you know hear what you got going on and he's like hey man come to come to this food truck was this person involved in a lot of volunteering yeah yeah he did a lot in the city so i knew he he would know of a place to go so what was it that took you to that moment of like okay i've got this time i want to i want to give back because that's Um, something i it's very common um to see with, with people there especially successful people there's always this section of an interview where they're like and you have to give something back, and you have to. It has to be mm-hmm. bigger than yourself, and that's always fascinating to me because, I, like, um, I've never gone that route. Like, I've done volunteer work here and there, yeah. but it doesn't come instinctively to me. So whenever I hear that, I'm like, why is that not instinctive to me? So I want to pick your brain on this. Yeah, uh, on this subject. Like, what was it that took you to that moment when um, you called that guy? Ever since I was a kid, I've always had a fascination with homeless people. So I've been doing this a long time. Um, as a kid, I'd, I'd want to go help somebody. I was that kid at school that would go sit down at the lunch table with a kid who had a disability because he, he was sitting by himself. That's just because that's just kind of my heart. I mean, I, I I recognize that in people and I sense that in people if they're if they're not having a good day or things like that. Um, and I think that the same thing comes with with homeless people is that you know we drive by them every day, we walk by them every day. And that person is mentally ill. They're, you know, that something ha- went terribly wrong in their life. And they are, at that moment, at the worst point of their life. And I walk, I can't just walk by. I can't, I can't do it. I have to, I have to like, ask them something. I have to talk, try to talk to them. Um, so, you know, when I, what led me to that moment to reach out to my buddy was... You know, I was working at an agency, you know, making making money and just finding myself um, kind of like needing something of substance. You know, I needed something to do. Um, and so it's just literally out of the blue, I'm just like texting him. It's like, hey man. And he's like, come down tonight. I'm like, okay, I'm coming. Mm-hmm. And it was just instantly like a connection because it was a really easy way to get involved with not a lot of, like, pressure involved. Like, you know, it's like, when you go volunteer at some places, like, the first thing they want you to do is sign up and, Mm -hmm. like, you know, do all this, like, hey, welcome to the club, now you're in. It's like, no, no, I'm not ready to fully, I'm not ready to fully commit yet, you know? Um, But this was just such a, an organic moment. Um, And we just walked around downtown LA and passed out vegan burritos and water to these people and spent time just talking to people. And, um... I developed a friendship with a homeless guy. And I have a photo with him on my Facebook. Um, and every single week, I'd, I'd come and hang out with him. Um, even when I wasn't going to do share a meal, I'd be downtown, and I'd go and buy a sandwich and water and go over to him. And I asked him one time, I said, why, why are you homeless? 
like what what you know what happened and he goes well I got you know have a heroin problem like okay I'll be sure honest about it he goes yeah and he goes I live in this tent because this tent is what's gonna is what's keeping me focused to getting over it because I hit the rock bottom so he has a job in LA he works but he lives in a tent really yeah because he doesn't want his family to know that he's, he, he wants his family to know he's trying to sober up and get better. But there's too many things around him for him to go. And he wants to know that every night he has to go back to that tent until he's better. That's intense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think, you know, I'll, you hear stories, I could go on and on all day, but your listeners would be fast forwarding. I don't have any listeners. Oh, you'll, you can you'll have go some. on as long as you want. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> I, I've been doing this for years now, um, and I've helped, you know, there's a difference between just walking up to a homeless person and saying, here's some food and water and walk away. Um, I don't do that. I actually walk up to them and say, what's your name, what's your story, and how can I help you? And for the most part, most of the people don't want help because they're battling personal demons. Um, but at least once, once, once or twice a month, I, hit a, I meet people, and they go, yes, I'm ready. I need help. I need, what can we do? Um, I've spent a lot of my own money um, trying to find housing for people, um, trying to work with them. Um, I had one lady that I met in Venice who was 58 years old, as frail as can be, could barely walk because she's like, Five one, hundred pounds and homeless in the middle of winter, and I knew she wasn't going to make it. I just knew it. Like just you could see it in her eyes. This lady's going to die out here, and I just couldn't let it happen. So I put her in a hotel. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, let's we'll figure this out. Um, put a post on social media and said, Hey guys, like I could use some help and making money here to pay for this is going to get expensive. Ended up spending on three grand. To get her um, help, we had a, we, we located a place for her, um, was speaking with her every day, was visiting her at the motel every single day, and um, the day we were going to check out and get her into the apartment, she bounced, left all of her belongings behind and bounced. Just disappeared. Just disappeared. Haven't seen her since. Wow. Um, we think her abusive boyfriend that she was hiding from picked her up, who was um, beating her. You know, um, I have so many just tragic stories of doing this, um, but there are some good stories, and I think that somebody asked me the other day. They said you spent a lot of time and a lot of money on helping homeless people when the success rate is so small. Why do you do it? And I think I said to them, I said, if I can help that one person get off the street and make make themselves impactful in some way, then it's worth it. You know, I, 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 I give everybody a chance that I help, um, and we give them multiple chances. And every, like, I'm, right now I'm trying to work with this guy named John. Um, John is an alcoholic in Venice, and uh, he, he's been homeless for five years now. And his family literally gave him a one-way bus ticket from Tacoma, Washington to Seattle, to, to Los Angeles and said, we never want to speak to you again. And he was an alcoholic. Gave him $700 and a bus ticket. Well, the, bu the, the, the money got stolen and he ended up in LA and got himself to Venice where homeless people go. Mm -hmm. And every single day, he goes up and down the beach and collects cans every single day, but Sundays, because um, the recycle place isn't open on Sundays. Uh -huh. He walks the 2.8 miles to the recycling bin. He gets enough money. It's usually $28 he gets in cans every single day. That's a lot of cans. He takes that money. He goes to the CVS, and he buys two bottles of vodka every single day. No food. No food. Vodka. And he drinks them all. Every day. How's he been alive for five years? I have no clue. I have no clue. And he 
I see him every week, and he's a, he's a great guy. Like he looks you in the eyes. He's 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 still full of hope. He's sixty one. And last week. Okay, so we lost a little bit there uh, when Nick called. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. I was telling a really good story. <laughs> but let's get. To, it doesn't matter. I can. Uh, I'm still hearing what you have to say. Yeah. So. No. Yeah. So you know. So and, maybe that's your anchor then that we were talking about earlier. Like your head's in the digital space, and this is what is the the counterbalance that brings you to like a very physical need. Like all of these people, they need physical things, right? Yeah. They don't need a a phone yeah. or a Facebook profile. Yeah. They need your like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, your most basic and fundamental needs. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, I just, I think it's what drives me every week. I, 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 I go to bed super early, I get up at 5 a.m. every morning, so I'm usually in bed by 9, 9 or 10 every night. So, but on Thursday nights when I go to Venice, I go to Venice every Thursday and, and do this. I get energy, and I, I have energy that I don't have, like I'm going to start yawning. You know, but that's, <laughs> that's just, uh, it's just funny, like I get, I get energy by going and doing this. And I do what I do, and I make the money I make, and I work as hard as I can because I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I want to do this as long as I have to to be able to have enough funds that I can go and do more of this work. Full um, time. Full time. Yeah. Like, yeah. All, like become a social worker? No. Or just no. work? I want to. In... I want to work with on finding people, homeless people. I do not want to work in the with in the policy government and that stuff because it's a, it's a joke or for a non-profit then no I want to well I mean maybe if for my own personal non-profit and, and do it myself I don't know I still haven't decided that but I I just know that it's going to get worse out there and it is getting worse and you can't throw money at a problem like that you mean the issue of homelessness is it, getting worse it's getting it it, it Every day is the worst day we've ever seen. Really? And you can throw $250 million at it, and it will not do anything. So why do you think it's getting worse? Because our country as a whole, I mean, you see L.A., people can't afford to live here. Yeah. I mean, salaries are not lining up with the price increase. And the fortunate ones that were able to buy... We're lucky. You know, we're lucky. Um, but if you're renting and, you know, you work at a nine-to-five job, your salary isn't going up with how much your rent's going up. You but know? do you think that's a nationwide issue? Or I do think it it's a Southern California No, it's issue. a nationwide issue. I mean, there's lots of places. But you got to remember, homeless people are on the streets. They're not going to Chicago. They're coming to L.A. because L.A. is temperate climate. Um... We enable people here. That's why we have the homelessness issues that we do. I actually voted against Measure HHH, which was the homeless measure. I voted against it because we can't keep enabling these services with social. Like, like it's it's how do you enable? How do you help people without enabling them? Is the question because the more money you throw at the problem, the more homeless people are going to come here. Because they know this is where they can get money and get help and all that. So they're just going to keep flooding. And you can't stop that. You'll never stop that. But if you start controlling the issue at a whole, it's a mental health problem. And focus on getting these people off the streets and then working on them and their brains. And like, how can we get this person fixed? Like, what is it? And I start finding the, the people who know these people. And like, hey, take this person in. Like, get this person the help they need and hold people accountable. I think that's when we start making change and actually giving a damn about people. So back in the day, like, Reagan kind of cut those programs and released all of the mentally ill. Yeah. Um, so are you, are you talking about, like, reversing that? Like, reinstitutionalizing or...? No, no. I think... I think that, I think what happens is when a government gets too involved, the government, the things, there's just too many issues. 
our government cannot solve this issue. It, it can't. We've seen it time and time again. The government has to step aside and get the people who are professionals in because the government cares about numbers. They're numbers driven. They're not focused on each individual person. To them, homelessness is one issue. Homelessness. It's not to, you know, Joe Schmo who cares about homelessness that cares about John who's an alcoholic. I know John's an alcoholic who is lone, suffering from loneliness, depression, and abandonment. I know that because I know John. I spent time to learn who John was. Mm -hmm. But that's one person in a cog of over a million homeless people in, in the U.S. You know, I can't possibly do and connect with every single one of those people. But I know his story. And I think that, and I ask him all the time, I said, so has, has uh, C3, which is um, the government for LASA. LASA is Los Angeles Housing Authority. Um, they, they, they do outreach in L.A. They're supposed to reach out to these people. That's what they do. That's what they're paid for. Most of those people are never hit up because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, they're, they're out trying to survive. They're not, they're not waiting, sitting. Like a lot of people think that homeless people just sit on the curb all day and beg. No. There's a few that do that, but for the most part, they're out looking for bite to eat. They're looking out. They're looking for what they got to do to make it through the night. That's what they're looking for. And so we just have to change our policies to actually um, adapt with the times and adapt with the fact that these people have so many issues. And it's only going to get worse. Only gonna get worse. Hmm. We're in a mental health crisis. Yeah, I feel like that's where, uh, like, uh, with all the public shooting, for instance. Public. Sh I mean, when you find out that uh, all the percentage of those people that have been on some kind of uh, antipsychotic or yeah. antidepressant, it's. It, the, what's the first thing doctors prescribe to people when they say they're having issues? Antidepressants. Rather than face the problem, people take drugs. And I think that, yeah, I'm, never, I'm not criticizing. I mean, I take anti-anxiety meds. I take it for traffic. I cannot handle it. I get, I get so anxious in traffic. Like, it's just my, because I can't, I just, I just can't Boy, deal with it. Boy, you're in an interesting city for yeah. having traffic right? anxiety. Hey, Nick, Nick is the same way. Uh, <laughs> what is it about traffic? Just, I, it's just not being it's just, I think it's, I'm not moving. Move. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... I don't know. It's like I get bored and anxious. That tra that drives me crazy too. LA traffic is something else. I uh, I started listening to stand up comedy um, <laughs> routines while stuck in the car, and that was the the most effective thing I found for just not caring that I wasn't moving. Yeah, it's just like okay, well, this guy is on, just listening to whatever they were ruminating about was distracting. Um, but yeah, otherwise that that getting stuck is infuriating. Yeah. But we're in the worst town for traffic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, so then how do you manage that? Because you're, you're all the way down here. Um, I'm really good at um, planning my days around it. Um, if I need to, for example, go to downtown LA, I make sure to go after traffic and then leave either before traffic gets bad or wait it out. Um, I have to go to Glendale on Tuesday, and I'm going to get there at 1. I'm going to leave my house at 11.45, mm -hmm. get there at 1, leave at 2.15. You know? Just really, I always try to plan around it to make sure. Um, you know, sometimes I, I get stuck, but for the most part, I'm able to. Because I choose my own schedule. I do what I want. Yeah, that's going to be know? nice. Um, yeah. But there's still that constant tick, 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 tick of the emails coming in all the time. Oh gosh, yeah. Sorry, Gami. Um, <laughs> it's late in the day. Um, no, yeah. I mean, I, Nick, and I both like yesterday when we were talking about it. Like, you just you, you can't keep up. You just can't. And I think in my head, I always say the same thing. I'm just one person, and I tell myself that every day because I get so exhausted looking at the amount of stuff I have to do on a daily basis. And I just go, I'm just one person. I'm just one person. I can do this. It's just going to take me time. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that the more busy I get, the more I'm able to, I guess, prioritize what's most important and really prioritize, you know, 
all that stuff. Like, what do I need to do now? What can I hold off on? And okay. being able to do it instantly. So when I see an email come in, I won't read it. And Were there any strategies or, like, uh, systems that you use specifically, like, for this time management, prioritize and execute? Like, I know Nick was trying to... Uh, Got me on SaneBox. I tried that for a couple of weeks. What is it? SaneBox. It's mm. like this uh, company that prioritizes your emails based on, uh, like, you program it. Um, initially, it gives you a bunch. Of, here's all your emails. And then you f- you choose, like, okay, this is not important. This I could receive once a day. Yeah. This type of email I need to receive right away. And you're kind of programming their uh bot or whatever it is to prioritize your emails for you i tried it for two weeks but it didn't work out so well for me yeah no i i think i have my own organic way of doing things um i'm really good at time management um like i say i get up super i get up way too early i get up at five yeah as well but it's usually just go work out before i have to go to work yeah i get up and i prioritize my day and I, you know, I, I get things done. And usually by uh, 9 a.m., I've already, I'm already halfway through my work, you know. And I take a nap every day at, at 1 o'clock. Really? Yeah, every day. Have you always done that? Um, no, probably within the last year. I try to take a half hour. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think it's just, I've naturally always been good at it. Even college, I was good at it. Hmm. So, I think some people it just comes naturally. You know, you don't need to worry. Like, I, I, you know, you see all these productivity tools out there, and I'm always like, no, nah, I don't need to waste my time. I, mm-hmm. It's up here. It's in my brain. I can just do it. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you, uh, so you work mostly from home. Yeah. Do you find, do you ever find that to be a burden? That, like, you live and work in the same environment? Um... So I can work from home, and I do usually on Fridays, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There's something about like having a separate space for living and a separate space for working. Like, what have you found? Does it? Well, I built I built that that desk over that stand-up desk kind of to be that sort of like way away from it. I used to work from my couch, my you know my desk, like my, my table, all that stuff, but I I. I transition to having a space and that space is sacred to only that. I don't do anything else at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm able to sort of, I guess, transition easily. Um, I do work a lot more, I think, because I work from home. Um, I've worked from home since 2011. So I've worked in an office since 2011. That's a long time. Yeah. And I, I'm so happy. I, I can't stand working in offices. I think it's just like I lose my sense of freedom. You know, I have freedom here. I can do. I mean, I'm my own business. You know, I'm. I'm. I already have the freedom, but. Uh, I don't know. I think. It, it it's not for everybody. By any means. I think a lot of people. Um, don't again don't know how to balance it so either they work too much or they don't work enough mm-hmm. and they're not able to get up they're not able to do anything you know so what else do you do besides uh, the work with the homeless and the working from home with the those like pockets of free time in the middle of the day what do I do yeah do you have like any specific um I like to go on walks. <laughs> I go on a lot of walks around my neighborhood um, just to get outside, just take a break from being in the house. Uh, I, you know, I'll go to, I'll meet up with people for lunch, you know, in the area if I can. Traffic's not bad. Um, yeah, I mean, during the day, it's pretty typical. Like, I pretty much just work. I pretty much work from, like, 5.45 in the morning to like 7.30 at night <sighs> with like a half hour break for a nap. <laughs> so when you watch all those um, those people that talk, you know, with the like hustle hard, like clearly you're doing that and that's 
that seems to be the mantra of our time, right? Yeah. Like, in one way, shape, or form, everybody says that, right? If you if it's keep grinding, yeah, or, or you keep grinding, keep hammering, or hustle it, or Dwayne Johnson, you know, The Rock has yeah. that like always work kind of thing, um, and that really seems to be everywhere you look, mm. and I, I, which I you know I I would do it more if I didn't have a little baby, but yeah. at the same time, like, what do you think? Do you think that that's like a distinctly American idea, or no? I think it's do you think it's always been that way, or you so you think it's a global thing? Because if you look at other countries, now granted they're having a lot of problems, yeah, but they were definitely pushing for like six week vacations and yeah. thirty two. I think in France wanted like thirty two hour work weeks and something. Wow, that's France. <laughs> um, yes, I think that. America is a country that the the um, ethos was before work a nine to five and go home and be with your family, and that's what was always basically sort of the accepted. Um, I think that now, I think our always on mentality is is literally destroying us. We all have the same phone we have for work. We have for everything else. We bring our work with us wherever we go because it's there. And the expectation is with Slack, with all these instant messaging things, is that you always work. And unless you, you, you put a stop to it and say, no, I am not doing that. I have to have a break. Um, it'll eat you. And it'll eat you alive. And I think that it's not fair for... You know, a person is sitting there, a person, hey, you're expected to work this. Um, I think you, you need to determine what's your productivity level. Like, if I hire people and they tell me they're going to work 20 hours a week, but in that 20 hours they're getting done more than I do, then I'm like, dude, more power to you. If that's how, if that's how you want to do your schedule and be able to crush it in those 20 hours, awesome. Go. Do it. But... The, the reality is most people don't. The reality is most people, even in a 40-hour week, are barely working 25. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, there's not that much productivity a week. Um, when I work from home, I have my headphones plugged in. I'm, I'm, locked, I'm locked in. I'm working. You, know? you have your headphones plugged in at home by yourself? Yeah. What are you listening to? A lot of, um, a lot of different stuff, depending on the day. Um, anything from like study type piano music to um punk rock music to uh really? yeah to uh like contemporary pop to i mean just depending on the day yeah i have a hard time with that listening to music with uh with words especially like my add just like i find myself stopping and listening instead of focusing on what i'm doing so that's interesting you yeah i mean i'll just concentrate as long as there's a song that i don't know as a song that I know, it's I'm gonna stop and just like hum along and not think about what I'm doing. But I would try to find music that like like uh, just Spotify has that discover thing, which is really cool because it's always you know mostly for the most part new tunes that I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. So I just put that on in the background and, and just get plugged in. Uh, I never do hip hop though. Hip hop is the one that I I can't work to. I don't know why. Maybe it's too fast. Yeah. It's funny because it's mo- a large part of it is like about like making money and working. You think? <laughs> do you yeah. Know, do you know about those low lo-fi hip hop stations? Yeah. Yeah, I, I listen to those sometimes. Too. Yeah, I listen to um, Hype Machine. You ever listen to Hype Machine? Mm-mm. Hype Machine is great. Hype, what, Hype, what Machine is Hype Machine is basically like um, it's like a radio playlist of unsigned bands. And it's like all the like like you know who RAC is Mm-mm. the DJ uh, Rack um, he's actually playing in LA tonight. Um, I heard about him on Hype Machine before he was ever big, and he just he does really awesome DJ spins. I mean they're just they're so they're sick, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, I heard about him through Hype Machine. I discovered so many awesome bands through it. Huh. Yeah, Hype Machine. I'll have to check that yeah. out. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. 
All right, so the uh, we're at the forty-five minute mark. So this is usually where, so usually in my last two prior episodes, <laughs> where I have been transitioning into the list of um, of people that you find interesting. Yeah. Now uh, I don't know if you have one. If you want me to yeah. pause it, no, I can. Or we can do it because the previous, uh, my very first episode, I just asked the guy to come up with it on the fly, and I had. 15 minutes of just a lot of dead air where I was oh, trying yeah. to film No, in. I thought about so it. I, had I took Nick, your advice. I had Nick come in uh, in advance prepared, so uh, I'd be very curious. Now, it, uh, to, me, to me, what the way people have been picking things is, is fascinating because interesting is a very broad definition. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not who's the most successful person you know or who's the richest or who's the best-looking or, you know, so it's it's very uh, personalized yeah. what your definition of interesting is. So Nick actually chose two people, you, yourself and another, out of three that are involved in, like, giving back and charity, which is unusual. I wouldn't have guessed that for Nick. I yeah. would have guessed it'd be more business and success focused because he's so focused on success. Um, my other friend picked people who were good conversationalists, and that makes sense because he loves to talk. Yeah. So I'm very curious who your, who your three are. <laughs> um, so the first one is my buddy Travis. Okay. Um, and I picked Travis, very similar to what Nick did. Um, Travis is a very successful guy. Um, he's a UX designer and developer. Okay, what is UX? User experience. Okay. So front-end developing, uh, website stuff. Super successful. I mean, he can make as much money as he wants. His heart is in the city of LA, in the inner cities. Um, He has the the strongest heart of gold. Was this your friend that you called, that you mentioned earlier in the podcast about getting involved in these outreach no, programs? No, no. Okay. But this this guy similarly does that. Okay. Um, I met him at a church. I met him at church, actually. And, um, and he is... So what he does is he mentors kids in Watts. Okay. Um, and what I mean by mentoring is he's in their lives. Like, he'll buy them stuff. He'll take them out for their wins. He'll um, get in with the families. And the stuff that he does in inner city, like, his heart is there. Like, he has, you know, everybody in this city, I think, has an emotional tie to somewhere else, right? Their heart is never really in L.A. Uh-huh. He's unique because this is where he wants to be. And this is where, this is the only place he ever wants to be, is serve the inner city of L.A. And mentor them. And fix the situation of fatherless societies and specifically the African American community that's that's there. Um, the fatherless community in that community is so big. And so mm-hmm. he's kind of taking a stand and working in that world. Huh? Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. I will reach out to Travis. Yeah. Okay, who's number two? My buddy Robert Goodwin. Okay. Robert might be one of the most interesting people you ever meet. Robert has literally I say this, he's met Bono, uh-huh. he met Bono in Africa, took him, introduced him to Africa, he, uh, wait, still, yeah, this guy took Bono to Africa, like, he, he was part of the team, yeah, gotcha, okay, yeah, he worked in the White House, he worked in the, I don't, he worked in, I think it was, he worked in the government pretty high up, okay, um, he had, you know, he was in the military, he, um, he runs, he's one of the CEOs, I believe, no, or the, on the board of Executives Without Borders, meaning he takes executives from, like, the biggest companies and takes them into third world countries and finds ways to fix them. Um, he spent time in Haiti right after the earthquake to figure out how to fix the um, plas- all of this plastic trash that was flooding into the ocean, and he figured out the solutions. So this guy is, like, next level, top-notch, like one of the smartest people I've ever met. Wow. And it's on a high level. And where did you meet him? I met him actually um, in an, a men's group that I'm in. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I think they told me this because yeah. we were working on our, our own fraternity for a while. Yeah. Um, 
keep keep focused and accountability. Yeah. So, so yeah. Robert's part of that. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And the last person, I literally, ha- like, I, w- I went back and forth. I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Were there two contenders? Because we can give you four <laughs> in I case think, somebody doesn't no, respond. I do think it's, I, I, I really think this person has to be my buddy Andy Bales. Okay. Andy is the CEO of Union Rescue Mission. Andy is more dedicated to his craft of serving homelessness in the city of L.A. than anybody I've ever met. So much so, he, um, he had his leg amputated because he stopped to help a homeless man with water one night, and he, um, he caught a, vi- a flesh-eating virus in his foot. Wow. And, and lost his leg for his craft. Um, he is widely known as one of the top homeless people in terms of, like, knows about homeless people in Los Angeles. Um, he's on the executive boards for the city for this stuff, um, but he's been the CEO of Union Rescue Mission for, I think, 28 years now. Okay. Um, and his love for those people is incredible. The guys, and, you know, he probably will hate me saying this, but, you know, he's diabetic, and, you know, he is an avid runner, lost his leg, avid bike rider. He bikes every day. You know, literally two months after he lost his leg, he was back at work and bike riding again. And now he's losing his sight. And not a single day goes by that he doesn't go to work. And he doesn't relent. He doesn't stop. And the drive for helping people is just, far and away, that's the most success. So, yeah, those three. Okay. All right, it continues. I like I, I like this. I'm finding it interesting that the the duality of like the people who have the most success are also the most giving. Yeah. It really is kind of reinforcing what everybody says. So yeah. it, it's very interesting. Well, thank yeah. you so much for doing this. I yeah, really you're bet. It. Yeah, no problem. And it's my uh, we'll get this up as soon as we can. Yeah, dude. All right, thank you, everybody.